press buttons. Sound. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, I'm James Griffin, and this is the Mission Motorsport Podcast. Aimed squarely at our beneficiaries as an engagement tool first and foremost, but also anyone who wants to know more about the community that we serve. Today, I'm with Mission Motorsport CEO James Cameron, and we are talking to military padre Anthony Felton-White. Anthony has served numerous tours of duty in a variety of countries, and amongst his many roles, he teaches ethics, morality, resilience, and transition. As well as understanding how a chaplain became a racing driver, I wanted Anthony to help me understand the role of a chaplain in the armed forces and just exactly what relevance faith has on a battlefield. This was a really fun podcast to record, yet also one that made me reflect and remember. We hope you enjoy it as much as we did. So, take two. So, for anybody listening to this, this is the second time I've recorded this because internet and uh, corrupted files, blah. So, we're going to have another go at it. Uh, Today, we have uh, CEO James Cameron. James, would you like to say hello? Hi. And trustee of Mission Motorsport and racing padre, Anthony Felton-White. Hi. Nice Nice to see you and speak to you. Nice to see you again. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well, thanks very much. Yeah, I'm doing very well indeed. Are you back home now? You're not in Sandhurst now, are you? Um, no, I'm back home for this week. I was um, down in Sandhurst for, for a while, and I'm back here um, just for this week. And then you're um, you're really quiet. I'm quiet. Yeah, Maybe that was really quiet. It it sort of went progressively more quiet. Did it? You were talking. Yeah. <laughs> um, audio seconds. Um, Output level is that? I'm speaking exactly better. Is that yeah, yeah, but I'm not convinced it's coming through your microphone. Yeah, it thinks it is. Mm. Just tap the mic. No, it's not coming through your microphone. Are you sure? Yeah, yep. Maybe I'm just having a look at the set. I mean, it's to be honest, the the easy way around it is just you just have to speak up a bit to be fair because then that will activate. Take your headset off and talk, yeah, nice and clearly, Yeah. yeah, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, I, I might leave the headset on because I get a bit. You sound better through the headset. Okay, perfect. perfect. Oh, oh, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh, oh, this is now through the microphone. Yeah, is that better? <laughs> that's a lot. Better. Oh my god, that's better. Oh, it yeah, sounds a good. lot better. This might good. actually make it into the podcast. <laughs> Excellent. Well, now that we can hear you, middle-aged so men interfering with microphones. <sighs> anyway, got a bit weird. So you're back home in another part of the UK, are you? I am. Yeah, absolutely. Up in the uh, up in the beautiful countryside of the Welsh borders. Excellent. What's the weather like there now? Um, looking out the window, it's it's grey, but it's it's warm. It's not too bad. Nice. 
Nice. Excellent. So, I mean, sorry, and this is a slight <laughs> tangent, but Anthony, I know where you're sat and I know what's outside your window. Um, in these times of lockdown, we're not going to be here forever, but I, I think there's a real them and us, isn't there, between those who live in the countryside and have got, you know, stuff on their doorstep, like I know you have, I know I have, and mm-hmm. I know James mm-hmm. has, and those who are, who are managing in flats, you know, yeah like no very much so it, to have the the outside space makes such a difference i can jump on my bicycle and just you know cycle around a nice a nice uh, countryside block for a few miles round and round and round and it, and it lifts the mood and it makes a big difference you know i think were i sat in a in a flat with very little open space very little access for open space it makes a big difference to actually one's sense of well-being and how one feels about you know about the current situation yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, let's start at the beginning. Anthony, mm. you are a military padre. I am, yeah. I've been a chaplain for 15 years. Is that, so what's the difference between a padre and a chaplain? Um, well, nothing. They're just the same, the same thing, really. They're just different titles for the same thing. Oh, okay. How long have you been doing that? Uh, 15 years. 15 yeah, 15, years? 15 years with the army, uh, and uh, I've been ordained 20 years, so I was a parish priest for for five years and then and oh the really so what made you go from parish priest to joining the army um that's a long story i'll try and make it very short um every first of all every chaplain who joins the military has been a a parish priest because the military employs us all ready to go ready to hit the deck running so we've all we've completed our academic training we've gone through an apprenticeship at the very minimum of working with people in real life situations for at least three, four, five years before we then come in into the military. Um, so yes, yeah, so I I I um, went into the into the church in my uh, well 30, 31, and imagined I'd be nothing other than the parish priest. So a few years in, I was quite surprised, and I feel like felt like I was perhaps called to do something different. I was reading the the marvelous story of David and Goliath. Do you know that one? Yes. As a, yeah, David's a little guy and Goliath's a big guy. And I love that story because I, I used to row as a youngster and I, I'm, I'm six foot, so I was quite little for a youngster. So I love that story of the little guy beating the big guy. And um, I was sat in my house in Oxford reading this story and, and, and I felt it says me very clearly, hey, come on, you need to get off the hill because David was going to go and sit on a hill and have his lunch and um, watch his brothers fight a battle instead of which he, he was called to be the, uh, the instrument through which the Philistines were defeated in fighting Goliath. So I felt it say to me, come on, Anthony, get off the hill, step into the battle. You don't need anything else. You don't need to put on anybody else's armor. Just go and, and use the little you've got and do what you can and get, get involved, get involved in the battle. And that called me to ministry. And then four or five years later when I was re-exploring it I realized it was a military situation and I yeah I felt I'm being called into the military and and as a bit of background um I mean Anthony and I met uh out in Afghanistan in in Helmand but we went doing I mean both in uniform but in really really different jobs um Mm. and, and we met um uh I think patrol base two Nari uh, Sarage, Patrol Base 2, yeah, indeed. Re- re- remember it really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, um, I, I, But I find it really extraordinary because I know you, you know, you were, you were a parachute regiment padre. 
Mm. Uh, you were where the guys were, so you're living out in the uh, in the green zone in little patrol bases, but you were actually out on on patrol with them as well. Um, uh, but with no gun, I, I mean that's that seems extraordinary act of faith, if nothing else. Can I just um, can I just correct you? It's a rifle, not a gun. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm I'm a civvy now. I'm allowed to make you know crass errors. I'll be pointing at four three twos on the internet and calling them tanks. Ooh, steady on. Yeah, well, you know, it was a it was a wonderful day actually, patrol and patrol base two, and this dust cloud appeared on the horizon and came racing up to this little group of armored vehicles and uh, James jumping down in the dust with this very smart looking sort of cravat scarf like like Lord Flashheart jumping off the vehicle and um, to be met by the two IC of the uh, of the parachute battalion who, who automatically assumed James must be a very senior ranking officer and started calling him sir even though they were the same rank and uh, I noticed but nobody else did so I thought it was quite funny um, but no, it was it was um, it was good, and that's that's where we met. And I already knew of James because we had a mutual friend who was trying to get us together anyway to talk about motorsport and motor motor racing, and had 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 some inkling, I think, of some of the thoughts that 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 uh, that Jim had had in order to um to to begin to to use his passion to benefit his soldiers in some way, you know, because we had in fact. Further down in patrol base one, we had we had some some tough times, didn't I think? Didn't yeah. we with some of your yeah. guys? You know, no, was, in, uh, in, incredibly so. And it was it was that because uh, I'd I'd always used the mili- the the motorsport things to raise money for service charities. But I mean, I almost u- used you as a sounding board for some of the ideas I was having. Mm-hmm. Where he said, "Look, instead of raising money for charity uh, X, Y, or Z, um, let's." Um, how can we connect it up and do something to help these people? Mm-hmm. Um, and oh, hang on, really, hang we're having those thoughts in in Afghanistan. Hang on. Mm-hmm. So, Jim, you've got form in motorsport. We know that. It's common knowledge. Anthony, you're a chaplain. Yes. Where does motorsport come into your life? Well, I'm still allowed to have interest in things. Other than but of course, I wasn't suggesting <laughs> I was like, you couldn't. So, I mean, I was very, I'm very, very, I'm very interested in other religions. <laughs> But I was I was very uh, very lucky to be brought up with a most wonderful father who actually was also a vicar but a civilian vicar but one who rebuilt and raced vintage motorbikes and cars all oh. through my life. So I grew up in the garage with him, holding his spanners, um, and from that came you know my interest in, in um, all things to do with with um, mechanics and cars and motorbikes in particular, and then. Um, I started racing with an MG midget at the end of the last century, which makes me sound very old, um, and have been been doing some sort of racing um, with some sort of car pretty much ever since. But also being involved in Goodwood, I, I'm involved in all, a lot of the Goodwood motorsport events. Um, I'm also involved with an organisation called Motorsport Outreach, and another couple of vicars and myself started something called Revelation Racing, which is all sort of input <laughs> of input of ministry into um, everything from Formula One right down to grassroots motorsports. So, so I've I've been involved one way or another um, for 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 more than twenty years, and I prefer being involved on the driving side of things. But the army doesn't have to get in the way of 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 those sorts of activities. And I mean, the best thing is, of course. Mission Motorsport runs an event that is the only motorsport race in the world that entirely hinges around a, a church service. Mm. Um, 
I mean, race of remembrance often referred to, you know, as a service of remembrance with a motor race tagged on the end. And yeah, it's 12 hours racing and into the dark and all of the rest of it. But yeah, the pivotal moment is, is surely Anthony's moment in the limelight, you know, where all of his constellations align above him. <laughs> and of course, we've run it seven times now. And uh, uh, it's kind of, it tends to be a busy day at work work for you, though, doesn't it, Anthony? So you don't get there. It does. It, it's a source of great annual disappointment to me, um, you know, that actually this this weekend where everything aligns in all of my interests, both personal and professional, and I just can't get there because the army demands me to do some big remembrance service somewhere or other. I know at some point I'll be posted into obscurity and might just have <laughs> that sun, Sunday free that will allow me to come and and you know, drive and take the service and it will be wonderful. And I live in hope of that day coming. Well, every, every year it gets, I'm sure it gets nearer. It won't be long. It won't be long. You know, that's been my promise, hasn't it? For seven years. <laughs> we're, we're hanging in there for you. We're doing our best to keep, keep the dream alive until eventually, mm. eventually your, your moment will come. Yeah. And chances are I'll, I'll put it off the track on the first lap and be stuck in the gravel for the next 12 hours. Yes. Yeah, being randomly <laughs> abused by uh, by the rest of your teammates. Anthony, if I if I Google Revelation Racing, if yeah. I scroll long enough, it takes me to Top Gear. Oh dear! Talk to me about Top Gear. Top. That was quite a, a fun thing. Actually, this is way back in two thousand and two, before the military. Right. Um, I didn't see Top Gear very often because it was on a Sunday evening, and by the time I'd finished at church and come home and had supper with the family um it finished so so i very rarely watched it but my brother phoned me and said hey anthony um you need to get hold of top gear because they had a feature tonight and they wanted people to to uh, contact them who members of the clergy and professional sort of um you know religious folk because they wanted a race off to see what the fastest faith was going to be so so just for a laugh i i got the email for top gear and sent them an email and said hey um, my name's Anthony. We run something called Revelation Racing. I actually have a race license and we get involved in motorsport. Um, and I got a phone call the next day and the researcher said, this is amazing that actually there are people of faith who are not just interested, but actually involved in motorsport at the level you are. And she said, you know, we probably can't have you on the program because you might be, you might, you know, might be a bit too good, but we're certainly going to, going to feature you. So, so I, um, I said to her, well, listen, have a look at our website and check out the results page and you'll notice actually we aren't really that good. Uh, and anyway, left it at that. And she phoned me back later in the day and said, you're right, you're crap, aren't you? You can come on the programme. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, um, so, so we then had these two hilarious days of filming with Top Gear and it was a great feature. Um, uh, with many sort of folk from from the the, the faith community, we had rabbi, uh, imam, a Hindu, um, a bishop, me, a Roman Catholic, uh, Harry Krishna, um, also uh, um, Rastafarian, all all sorts of people. And I remember, great, I remember the Rastafarian struggling to get the helmet on. <laughs> it was it was it was great fun. It was really 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 good fun, and actually. I really enjoyed uh, meeting um, all the folk on Top Gear. They were they were just brilliant. And um, fortunately, I won, albeit closely, because I think the the Harry Krishnas had got some sort of ringer, and he was very close to my time. Um, 
And then on the strength of that, I was very lucky enough to do a bit more racing here and there with, with uh, some folk from Top Gear, which was great. That's mega. Um, and that's something that Ben Collins still talks about. So um, uh, yeah. you, you guys went out, but I, I was actually, I was talking to, uh, talking to Ben about it the other day. And I think Ben's going to be somebody who will probably get on this podcast to have a bit of a chat about. Mm-hmm. He's got a great military history, but I think you were around at the time when he was making that step out of one world into, into another indeed. world. Yeah, indeed. And, and they, they, it was one of the first things he did, wasn't it? Is they threw a gaggle of you together to go, to go for a race in Snetterton. Mm. Yeah, that, that's absolutely right. I mean, he, Ben, ben is, as you know, is a, is a absolute top class racing driver um, yeah. who's, who's made a, an impact in whatever series he, uh, he's, he's been involved in. So we, yeah, we were lucky enough to, for him during that transition when he took over from Perry McCarthy in the, in the Top yeah. Gear show, um, that he came out, there was me, Richard Hammond, um, Ben, and then a Levi, who was the Rasta. We shared a 2CV race car for the 2CV 24-hour race. Uh, <laughs> and it, which and it threw brilliant. it down, because it always does, doesn't it? Snetterton, <laughs> middle of August, the, the weather is only ever going to do one thing, weirdly, and it always threw it down on that race. Um, it's a perennial winter, isn't it? It's Snetterton is a perennial winter. It's just weird for that particular event. You could guarantee mm. it was going to be atrocious. Mm. Uh, and that's pretty much what happened to you, I think, wasn't it? Because it, it's, Ben talks about it in his book, uh, a wee small hours incident. It was in the dark, wasn't it? You're in the car. Yes. No, it wasn't a dark, but it wasn't a weather-related incident, actually. It was, a, it was, a, um, it was the first, first corner of Snetterton um, with the double apex. Riches. Uh, riches exactly so so i'd gone in onto the first apex and just as i was i was um preparing myself for the second apex i got tapped in the rear right hand corner because you, there's an awful lot of slip streaming in the 2cv racing you know you're yes. running about four inches from the back of each other so yes. i got tapped and sent into a spin so i came out of the corner spinning quite quite well and i was pretty much flat out around that corner so probably mm-hmm. i don't know i think I mean, flat out a two racing two CVs, what eighty miles an hour if you're lucky. But anyway, but you both, are a, you are in a chicken coop, so you're feeling of vulnerabilities quite high in one of those. Yeah. I always found. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Um, but in in spinning spinning, the guy that actually tipped me went the wrong side of me, so I spun into him, and we and we um you know and we we had a collision. Um, oh. totally his fault. I limped back round to the pits, and and um and you know, and they managed to put the car together, which was good, and we continued on. So what what what's the point of the the book? Mm. Yeah, there's more to that story, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, James. Right. James yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm just watching. So most people, of course, you know, you're listening to this on a on a podcast recording, and there's these voices in the ether. Uh, we're recording this on Zoom, so I can see Anthony just pissing himself, laughing as he clams up and quickly moves on to the next subject because it didn't it didn't quite end end to there. I, I think the the short, pugnacious gentleman who'd, who'd hit you uh, put in an appearance in your pit garage. Yes, no, he did, yeah. And that, that was unfortunate, really. Um, because you, you, I think we all know that when you've been involved in, in racing a car, your, your blood is up, isn't it? You know, your, your, the, the, uh, the thrill of it is coursing through your veins, your heartbeat is pumping, and, and so, you know, you're on edge. So I, into the pits leapt out of the car the guys were all over the car and this this little angry person came running in um to have a go thinking uh, that it was me that caused the accident where it was him that tipped me into a spin and you can you can see 
normally by watching somebody's reaction, whether or not they're going to try and be violent towards you. And I could see as he was coming towards me that this guy was about to launch himself at me. So bearing in mind, it is the middle of the night and most of the picker are half asleep as they're looking at this car and a few people are standing around. So I made a decision that, that I was going to strike first. Um, <laughs> and what I and had... I, what, and, and his okay. race suit, by the way, is not a standard race suit like everybody else. He had a very smart black race suit that with a... Uh, with a, a dog workplace, collar, call, with a, a dog, dog collar, collar. as well. Yeah. So effectively, Sing, yeah. single me out as a clergy person, man of the cloth. Yeah. yeah. So, but I had in my hand my helmet, which of course makes quite a good weapon. So, so as he was coming towards me, I could see everyone waking up in the pit garage. So I swung my hand back and was literally in motion to clock him one with my helmet. And everyone sort of grabbed me and pulled, pulled me back. So and Ben was just Ben was just laughing. Everyone was laughing. I was like, can't believe the vicar was going to hit him. How many Hail Marys do you think you'd have had to say in order to repent and, and ask for forgiveness for that one? I'd be still going, I think, probably. Yeah, I'd be still going. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely fine. But for people who think about, you know, a sort of clergyman or a vicar or a chaplain or stuff like that, then they have this... Uh, mental image of somebody who's serving bourbon biscuits and and dealing with a congregation mainly of old ladies. Um, uh, Anthony's congregation doesn't look like that. You know, Anthony's congregation are, are fighting men and women, mm. um, and he's in amongst and and in amid them, uh, including on operations too. And I think it takes a, an incredibly special sort of person to be able to go and do that without themselves being armed you know you have all of the training so that you're not mm. an encumbrance mm -hmm. um mm. but but you've got to appeal and to and it's not in a sort of religious way to try and convert people to something but you have to minister for you have to look after um a bunch of uh well you know in the instance where we met you know that uh, a bunch of paras who are who are doing a six month plus tour in in uh in incredibly difficult circumstances um so it's a very different sort of ministry to that you, you that people have it is it, just pause, very... pause there guys we've got three minutes left if we leave this conversation now and come straight back into it we can pick it up okay, okay. what do i do uh so just end it and then just the link that i sent you just come straight back into it it's a 40 minute limit otherwise you have to pay for it <laughs> I can't remember what I was saying. Okay, was um, really so you were talking, so basically your congregation is soldiers and it's soldiers who are in battle and during pretty tough times. Yeah, and, and some some pretty hairy arsed ones as well. Yeah, yeah, but I you know, I think I think we're all human beings and that's a good starting place. And actually, considering the conversation we're having, we're all petrol heads. So there's so many there's so many things that bring us together. Um, and the motivation for me is quite simply that as a nation we ask our young men and women and they often are very young men and women to go to some extraordinary places and do some extraordinary things often quite difficult and dangerous places often quite difficult and dangerous things and it's really important that somebody is there to say guys girls we appreciate what you're doing we love you for this you know we care for you and we will do our, our best to bring you back to be a, a human being again, back when, when you, you know, when you come back home. So I so, think that's really important. And, and the weapon thing is, is, 
it's it's important for me to be different it's important for me to stand out mm. on a battlefield you know if i if i'm a person of peace if i'm someone that will, what, wants to talk about love and and, uh, and then enter conflict um then i've got to stand out and be different you know i am a non-combatant i don't carry a weapon to be perfectly honest i'd be dangerous with a weapon i'd i'd shoot myself shoot the wrong person it's one less thing for me to clean it, it's i'm very grateful oh, to never true. have a weapon that's very true but you know uh, i have a cricket bat and that's enough for me uh, no hang on stop 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 it's <laughs> <laughs> still right, an offensive so, weapon in the right hand so well so everybody's thinking he's just sort of dropped that into the conversation no no he hasn't um anthony deployed with uh and took out on the ground a cricket bat because everyone else is holding something in their hands and it seemed appropriate to uh you know just in case somebody bowled a bit of a googly towards him that you were the one in mm. the in the in the presolder is prepared yeah absolutely i mean it stems from my first <laughs> op tour in iraq back in oh five oh six um in Basra, there were some very nasty snipers who were who were shooting our soldiers quite regularly, and um, and I was different because I didn't have anything in my hands, and I thought yeah. I'm going to stand out as a target, and and chances are they're going to try and shoot me. So I thought I want something in my hands so that I've got the same body posture as if I'm carrying a, a rifle, not a gun. I, I remember you telling me, James, as as, as I'm carrying a rifle, um, and I figured. If he did get a look at the fact I'm carrying a cricket bat, he's going to be laughing so hard he'll never get a straight shot on me anyway. <laughs> so, gonna... so I started. I started it's carrying. Worked. It's, it has worked. <laughs> like, so on, on all my op tours, I've carried a cricket bat when I'm on patrol. Um, and it, in Iraq, I wrote actually wrote to two of the you know the old traditional cricket equipment um, companies, Gun and Moore and Gray Nichols. And, um, and Gray Nichols have been a great support. They sent me cricket equipment in Iraq and Afghanistan, both of which I made use of in the local schools with the local kids um, and, and carried a gun and more cricket, uh, sorry, a Gray Nichols cricket bat um, throughout Helmand on, on a number of occasions, on a number of different operational tours. And um, it's, um, it's got me into trouble a bit every night with the chaplain's department who did think I was, it was an aggressive and offensive weapon, but <laughs> I wasn't being a non-combatant and um, but actually i carried it in a very genteel way and and, and as a slightly <laughs> older person it was much easier with a cricket bat to help myself get out of the water filled ditches i'm using it as a sort of a as a walking stick no fair one and, no. and if anyone was going to throw hand grenades i was i was ready <laughs> well yeah i mean if you're any good yeah but um so i've just pulled off the shelf behind me um mm. a book it's a book I'm very fond of uh, and it's called Vietnam the Real War and it's oh. a beautiful book um, yeah. and it's called Vietnam the Real War a photographic history by the Associated mm. Press um, mm. and I highly recommend it to anyone with an interest mm. in conflict and the, the human effects um, mm. because it is it pulls no punches and it, mm -hmm. it shows mm. a lot of the human side of war as opposed to the Hollywood version. And on yeah. page 188, there's a picture that um, ever since I came back from Afghan in 2010 mm -hmm. has really kind of struck me. Um, and it, it, it rings a bell to a degree. Um, and it shows a trench. And I'm just going to show you to this. shows mm. a trench uh, with a, a load of guys stood in the trench. And then, and it's probably only, you know, waist deep. And a 
a fully rigged up Padre. So he's got his, and I'm not going to, I'm, I'm going to try and not offend you, um, but he's got his white, it's not a dick. Casacalb. It's That's called a Casacalb. Yeah. So his white robe and uh, et cetera. On. He's also got his issue jungle boots on, mm-hmm. but he's going around and he's blessing everybody. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I know before, in fact, talk me through that picture. What's he doing there other than the blatant, you know, the obvious of giving a service? Mm-hmm. Why, why do we as a military, so that's the American army or the American mm-hmm. Marines, whoever they are, why do we as a military feel the need? And bearing in mind, there's a lot of people out there who would go, I don't even know why I carried a cricket bat. If mm-hmm. God exists, then he'll protect you through divine intervention. Mm-hmm. Why do we feel the need, the requirement to have a padre on the battlefield? I think there's a number of reasons, isn't there? First of mm. all, it, it, it does symbolize um, some, some semblance of light in a very dark place, in what can be a very dark place. It shows something of the normality that we're used to perhaps back home. Some of those soldiers may have attended their local churches. And so something familiar, the, the, you know, the saying a priest ministering them, praying for them, praying with them uh, is, um, is often very important. Um, it's that transition moment of helping people move back from the battlefield, back to the home space and recapturing their human side. It's a sign of hope in what can be a hopeless situation. And it's someone whose uh, entire time is available to sit and to speak with people and to give them time, again, which there's very little of in the battlefield. So I, I, think, I think we bring an awful lot. I think we represent the human spirit. We represent love. We represent acceptance. We represent light. And we represent peace in what can be very dark and dangerous places and hope is important it's it's when people lose hope in wherever they are whether it's on the battlefield whether it's in their their little flat during the covid 19 outbreak wherever it is if if someone loses hope you lose so much so hope. So anything yeah so 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 hope's a big one so again I'd, and i'll just reflect uh, back one more time to to herrick 11 so we were out in in afghan is the BRF, so Brigade Ricky Force, mm-hmm. on Eric 11. It was a winter tour. And I was brought up a Roman Catholic, but I never, I, 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 it just, you know, as soon as I joined the army, certainly, I, I never really looked back towards religion because mm-hmm. I didn't think, you know, the whole God thing was for me. And I thought the whole fluffy side of, you know, your soul and emotions, etc. you know, that was, for, that was for people who weren't in the military. Anyway, we got through... Uh, the first three months of our tour, which were, they, they were kinetic. They were rough. It was certainly the roughest tour I'd ever been on. Um, and pretty much all of the attached arms, so the infantry, the engineers, etc. Mm-hmm. They were all commenting, this is the most kinetic thing we've ever done. And it was the type <coughs> of soldiering that you do, that you, that you join the army and hope to God you get to do. Mm. But then once you've done it, pray you never have to do it again. And we were waiting to go back in the January, I think it was. So it was January 2010 for R&R. And, uh, and one of the Padres came around uh, and he was just chatting to us. We were sat outside the naffy, probably queuing up to get a pizza or something. 
and uh, waiting to get on on uh, R&R flight. And he came around with these little dog tags. So I've got my I've got my normal dog tags here. Mm. Came up, and I'll just show you. It's a uh, it's an eleven brigade uh, BRF, oh, eleven brigade um, dog tag. Yeah. But on the back of it, it's got a little uh, a little passage on a it. Little, and, and little prayer from Joshua. Yeah. yeah. So Joshua one nine. I will be strong and courageous. I will not be terrified or discouraged for the Lord my God is with me wherever I go. Now, the first time I read that, I thought, do you know what? He's handing them out. I'll have it because it's free. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and you know what soldiers are like? If it's free, I'll have two. Mm-hmm. And so we all said, oh, thank you, know, thank you, Padre. And me, um, myself and um, one of my best friends who, you know, God bless him, is no longer with us. We both took one and, uh, and we stuck it onto our, onto our dog tags. And I can't tell you how many times I looked at this thing after I came back from R&R um, mm-hmm. because I went back on R&R convinced I was never going to make it that far anyway. So then yep. when we went back to, to Afghan post the r and I, I, it hit me very much how much I was, I was expecting to lose. I never expected to, to go back home mm-hmm. um, because of what we'd survived so far. And we'd lost people at that point as well. But I looked at this thing every single night and I just thought, you know what, if it's, if this one thing gets me through by some weird kind of, uh, I don't know, fate or jinx, or if the mm-hmm. Lord almighty is actually looking upon me and, and he's, you know, and he absolves me of my sins for not believing in him, I'll take it. I will take it all day long. And actually small things like that handed out by the Padre were enough to just keep you hanging on to your humanity sometimes. And, and keep a little bit of hope too. You know, I, we yeah. hand, I was on um, Herrick 10, so we handed over to you and it was extraordinarily, mm. extraordinarily kinetic. Mm. You know, we had many of those sorts of things and we gave away thousands and thousands of, of those sort of dog tags to our soldiers because that, it was a little, a little bit of, a little, something to, to hang on to in the darkest moments. I have, I mean, I'm showing you now, this is, a, this is what's called a, an oil stock, which is as a, priest you might have a little bit of holy oil in one end set with soaked on cotton wool that i can use for anointing people but the other end i have sealed in it some of my father's ashes so kind of like that you, you okay. probably can't hear them and it's a little oh. bit like a rattle when i shake it mm. um and i've covered it in black tape so it doesn't glint in the enemy i used to hold that in my hand when i was under rocket and mortar attack in iraq and similarly you know walking on the night patrols in uh, in, he- in in Herrick and Helmand, I'd hold that mm. in my hand and hope to goodness I didn't step on an IED because they never had night vision goggles for me. I always had to walk literally in the dark, and let, someone let me, else was. Sort let me of, show you. That's a blessing because you've never seen anyone more like Bambi on ice than me on a night vision goggle. And my old people <laughs> attest to that. He used to just stand back and watch me just <laughs> tent across a ditch on goggles and just always fall in. That was monstrous. Is used to walk de- it. I, the depth perception bit is always a nightmare in those things, isn't it? Well, Everything's I, again, gone I, green and you've no idea how far away anything is. I feel grateful then that I had no weapon and no night vision. I'd walk in front of the RSM who would literally tap me on each shoulder and steer me through the dark. And I'd be hanging on to this a little bit like, you know, you with, with that dog tag. Because I think what's true is the, the young men and women who do go into the battlefield they do begin to understand a little bit about themselves that they're, you know, 
their normal peer group wouldn't do a little bit about what i would call their spiritual self mm. they 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 think about as you did what about if i don't go home what's going to happen to me where so, where do i go when i die does anything happen to me when i die what what, what is the meaning of my life what is the purpose of my life on this earth uh, and you begin to approach some some really big questions that that your average young 18 19 20 21 year old just doesn't engage with so i'm going to ask i'm, I'm not going to try and ask try and purposely ask you a difficult question because most questions that come towards padres are generally difficult mm. questions mm. Mm. but if you're in a patrol base i'm sure you probably have this and and someone who's having a rough you know if everybody's having a rough time if if someone is sat down and they're you know they're shooting the shit with you and they're they're having mm, a brew mm. and they do mm. turn around to you and go well padre if god exists why mm. is this happening to not just us but why mm. are we in the middle of a conflict that quite frankly I, even i don't quite understand how do you how do you bring that down to i don't know yeah how do you figure so, so so what the soldier's asking me is why aren't we living in heaven now why we're we living in hell and not heaven is what he's asking me basically, isn't it? He's saying, why do we have hate in the world? Why do we have greed? Why do we have conflict? Yeah. Um, in other words, why aren't we living in heaven now? Well, I mean, I can give you the, the sort of the religious answer in the sense that we live in a fallen world. This is a, you know, we are free in this world to, to, to make our life choices in this world. There is good. And in this world, there is evil. Uh, and and God works in this world, but he works with this. I'm showing my hands to, to them. God's hands uh, um, are our hands. His his intentions are our intentions. So so I feel, you know, that actually in what I use with my hands and my, my ears, my eyes, my mouth, I, I, I am, ha, ha, you know, when I can, having God's influence in the world. Um, and that's simply how it works. I, you know, we, I, we, we, we're not living in heaven. No. Uh, but the point, the point is we shouldn't accept hell. We should try and make things uh, as, as good as we can do. Sadly, human greed um, and violence does get in the way. Mm. But good men and women, that, like we have in our, on our armed services, um, do the best, I know, to bring peace into a troubled world. I know that previously my... Um, and, and again, before I discovered the real benefit, excuse me, of a padre, which was when I lost my best friend, he was the first person mm. on site at the hospital to, to come and console us, etc., cetera, mm. and, and try and add some sort of reasoning and the whole, you know, the, the whole situation and, and the, just the way it happened was just, it, it took everybody by surprise. It was a massive broadside. It's always a broadside when you lose someone, mm. but mm. It, it, all the horrible stars aligned with this one. And and this padre, he didn't try and and, and it kills me. That I can't remember his name because he's a bit of a legend. Um, but he didn't try and impart any kind of comfort on us by saying, you know, the Lord God has him now and mm. he's in paradise. Mm. He didn't preach. He didn't yeah. preach. He simply mm. said all the kind of things we wanted to, but couldn't because we were all crying and snot coming out of our nose, etc. Yeah. And it was very much a, and he, you know, he didn't hold his language back either. 
Um, and he mm. very much became one of us and, mm. and just basically told us all to give us each, you know, told us all to, to hug each other. And mm -hmm. yes, this is one of the shittiest things that's ever happened to you, but you're going to get through it. And he yeah. just very, very cleverly imparted a bit of hope. We didn't mm -hmm. need religion then because most mm -hmm. of us weren't religious, mm -hmm. but he was a friendly voice of reason, of compassion, and he was the most human, human being we'd come across in six months. And, and if, if they're doing their job well, and we have some great chaplains, both male and female, what they can do is begin to help you make sense of your feelings and your emotions and the turmoil that you feel wrapped mm. up in all of that. Because we're on a battlefield that's particularly difficult because you not only have to cope with the grief and the loss, but you've got to get yourself together mm. because you might be on patrol an hour or two after that. Uh, you know, and that's why I've seen the most incredible bravery in our young people, you know, who, who literally the day after seeing their friends blown apart in front of them are ready to go and they pull themselves together and walk out the gate again. I've just so it's thought... helping people bring those bring those emotions and complex feelings back together in a way that they can keep existing and keep safe. One of our mortar teams, so our mortar team, funnily enough, was, um, was almost wholly made up of, of Fijians. Mm. And one of the Fijians was a Fijian pastor. Or, mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. Some of them are, yeah. Yeah, and so big, burly, you, you wouldn't want to get into a fight with him because you'd bloody lose. Um, big, burly lad. Anyway, we lost... Um, we lost one of our guys um, one morning, and it was early morning. We're all on goggles. Then we had a full day of scrapping, and then we went back to the uh, to the vehicles that we were mm -hmm. living off. Uh, and and these big burly Fijian mortar teams, um, they gathered round, and the 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 pastor or the preacher, I can't remember what he was called, um, he came forwards and he gave uh, the most touching ceremony uh probably 10 minutes no more mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then the fijians that if you've ever heard them do it it's incredibly touching they sing but they're it's, amazing it's aren't they just the most gentle moving song and yeah. then they launched a volley of uh mortar -aloo. it was mm -hmm. just amazing mm -hmm. um and 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 had he not been present because we didn't have a padre where we were had he mm. not been present I think it would have had a, a really detrimental effect on us because that kept us going. It was a bit yeah. of a, you know, there's, we know we've got to get going tomorrow and tonight. And, and it could have had a long-term effect because the, mm. the fact is it acts like a sort of a pressure cooker and release and things. Yes. And the, the Fijians are, are wonderful in the way they sing. We had a, a big Fijian killed with us on Herrick 13, big Joe Vasabua. And, um, you know, we did something very similar. You know, um, the CO and I got down to that patrol base very quickly, where the checkpoint where they were. You know, and they we never leave never leave a body alone. And the Fijians were with him and singing, mm. and and um, it was a miserable, dusty old night. And we thought, how are we going to get the angel flight out to pick him up? But sure enough, you can always rely on the Royal Navy when the weather's bad because they're used to finding the ships in the middle of the sea and yeah, yeah. terrible weather. And through this terrible sandstorm, this out came the, the the Royal Naval helicopter and picked him up and took him on his way. Yeah. But with them singing, 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 beautiful. It's, I mean, it's funny, isn't it? That, um, 
Uh, it's one of the people that you're looking for when when the chips are down and things are really bad. Actually, is you know where's the padre? And um, you know for for us with Mission Motorsport, where we're looking after a population of people who are are in recovery um, or they're in transition from one one life in the military into their their following life as a civilian. Um, you know, Anthony's part of that trustee team, and we've got people with like incredible professional experiences. You know, sort of lawyers or uh, in business or in board uh, bits and pieces. Um, Anthony's not there in order to provide the religion in Mission Motorsport. It's um, it, it's it's the spirituality piece and having somebody who is who is literate in in that and the compassionate bit of looking after you because um, you know you do it for a living, which which I, I I just find absolutely extraordinary and. That care of the care piece, particularly for our staff, mm. is something that mm. is the bit that sort of keeps me awake at night, as you know. And that's and that's kind of um, you know a, a big chunk of that. I've, I think you know we've we've learnt from Anthony and we've drawn on mm. those lessons really. Anthony, I, I, I think that's bit, that was really important in the early days too, wasn't it, Jim? Because I think I think in the early days of of Mission Motorsport, everyone that was working, benefactors and and the whole team. Yeah. were all struggling with their own sort of things that they were carrying. So quite a lot of my early input was just in, in keeping the team going rather than the, you know, the beneficiaries. Uh, and, um, and it's been heartening to see over the years how, how actually all of us, to some degree, have used the charity as part of our own recovery journey, some more than others, of course, but it, it's, it's actually helped all of us all of us yeah. on our recovery journey and continues to do so. And that's what I think is so brilliant about it. It, it is, it is always amazing. And it's, it's one of the things that uh, <laughs> you never know what are these days you might experience it, but at race of remembrance, you know, the, the pictures are of this mass of people who are standing there for the remembrance service. And mm. um, I'm, I'm, I'm not, um, immune to it now, but I'm, I'm used to the front rank of, uh, beneficiaries, some of whom can be really quite broken, supporting each other, helping each other, pinning medals back on, putting headdress on again, and it might mm. be the first time they've done that mm. uh, in a long time, but being proud of their service and proud of those who they're alongside with. But it's it, 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 there's 600 people in that pit lane, and it's the impact that it has on um, you know, we, it, it's about remembrance, but it's a but it's very personal and very individual, and also the silence is just extraordinary because mm -hmm. in this modern life, we are used to continuous distraction. We're quite uncomfortable with genuine silence and solitude. Mm -hmm. um, and it's an extraordinary exercise in mindfulness to be stood together in perfect silence with 600 other people thinking on a common theme as the falling notes of the bugler are kind of falling away. Mm. And it's actually, it's the impact on, on the bigger audience that really that I just find quite extraordinarily moving. It's, it's, it's a wonderful thing. Mm. Anthony. Who Hang in there. We'll invite you, mate. Thank, I know, thanks. I know. <laughs> Are you talking to Anthony? Oh, that's fine. Yeah. You might invite oh, me. You can come too. Yeah. Thanks very much. Anthony, who looks after you? Because uh, there's a thing that I refer to, um, a cup of compassion. So mm. you get fed all of these drops because I, I doubt very much anyone comes up to you and goes, hi, Padre, I'm having a great day. Bye. <laughs> it generally tends to be negative waves. So where, do, where does your, as Oddball would say, where do you, who looks after you? 
That's a good question, actually, and it's a it's a really important one to to consider. Um, and I love the idea of a cup of compassion, but actually, I have a, a far more um, rude way of thinking about that, or and uh, um, which I think for me sums it up quite well. Is we all know in the military um, those plastic chemical toilets that we've seen on operations or on training ground or Luxury. that come out. Yeah, they're so event toilets, I think they call them, don't they? Portaloos. that's it, Portaloos. That is, an, is, a, is a military chaplain. We are a spiritual <laughs> Portaloo, and we get filled up a with everybody else's shit, box. shit. We get filled up with everybody else's <laughs> shit, which is fine because that's what our, that's what our job is. And actually, I, I, lo- I love my job. In fact, it's not even a job. It's a vocation. I just get to be me. But the point is, you get to the point where um, you can be full and when you are you're useless because you can't your basic function uh, you can't uh, you can't do so having the honeysucker come and make sure you're clean and sanitized regularly is very important so um, for me I will regularly see a psychotherapist not because I, I'm I'm crazy um, but actually what that does is it helps keep the shit in the uh, in the portaloo at a manageable level and and i do that regularly whether whether i feel i need to or not because it's a you it's a really useful sounding board and then i also will rely on on input from um uh, a christian supervisor as well so i sort of have have a two-pronged two-pronged approach both of which is fundamentally important and i think most of us only learn how important it is at the point we've actually burnt ourselves out mm-hmm. um, and and all of us can feel that whether you're a, a chaplain or not you know the army are so much that it can burn you out so so mm-hmm. having having an opportunity to be cared for is so important for chaplains it's critically important and for anyone actually who's who's in the caring profession that being able to to have that offload being able to to keep your capacity to help um, otherwise, you, you know, we talk about um, compassion fatigue when we are full, and that's the worst place to be in any caring compassion, in any charity even. You know, you imagine a charity that got to the point of being compassion fatigued, not able to, to, to care for anybody. Um, it, there's, there's, there's no point in you at that point. You're broken. You're beyond redemption. You, you, can't, be, you can't be saved. You might as well give up and go and do something else. Uh, and recognizing those things so separating out your different uh the different elements of um your psyche is 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 really important so that you can recognize it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when you're becoming a bit too close to the top and in need of the honeysucker turning up yeah. to uh yeah yeah relieve some of that burden because we've all tried to have one of those poos haven't we where you're trying to hover above uh a a, a seat that you absolutely wouldn't sit down on there's nothing worse i think if we stretch that metaphor enough, <laughs> but this is a great. Good, can I tell the Goodwood story now? Can please, I, that, please. No, oh, this has led on to it perfectly, hasn't it? <laughs> Go on, Adam. Uh, Adam, who is our chief operating officer and a um, uh, and a and a fine man, uh, Royal Artillery officer. In fact, I think he, where he's serving on, so he's still a still a reservist. But um, Adam, Adam is a man most comfortable in tweed and ridiculous coloured trousers. But uh, having attended the uh, the Goodwood Revival Ball, 
um, actually as a hot date for a vicar, which was was really great. But uh, Anthony's um, uh, Anthony's role at Goodwood there for the for the big events, blessing the circuits and stuff, meant that that uh, Adam and I got lucky one year. Went to the Goodwood Ball staggered back to the the campsite where uh, both of us had some very ad hoc sleeping arrangements i was sleeping in a car and adam produced this pop tent from the boot of his bmw but we'd parked ourselves right next to the uh, the shower so it was only a short walk in the morning uh, and of course he plonked himself directly over the top of the septic tank and was woken up in the morning by this horrific noise as they the honeysucker operator had actually had to lift the corner of his tent in order to be able to get the honeysucker in. And first was the noise. He's thinking, what the hell's that? He's been asleep for about, you know, an hour and 45 minutes. And then this smell. <laughs> and I, I was woken up by a march at Wincott who was just utterly distraught. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh mate. Oh God. You wouldn't believe. Oh, I was absolutely frightened. And I, I've taken a picture, which is one of my favourite things. So we've got to attach it to this this podcast so that we okay. you can you can access the two, which I like to call I, I, you know all human misery encapsulated in one photograph. It's a picture of Adam fully clothed in his tweed, but just looking utterly distraught. Um, his BMW with a bottle of Jägermeister parked in the middle of the roof and the honeysucker. Uh, with, under, with the, under his tent it doesn't matter how many tent. how many times i see that picture i it just makes me laugh and laugh and laugh oh it's just joyous and and but it's one of those weird things actually isn't it you know um uh, adam is one of those things and friends and friendship mm. are one of those mm. things that absolutely i've identified that's one of the that's one of my personal honeysuckers that's that's something that when work starts to become a bit too much or you know when you're mm. just full and there's only yeah. so much that you can give it's 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 engagement with friends and having a laugh and all of those things that are just incredibly important yeah, absolutely he's, it's, he's it's, one um, of my favorite human beings on earth <laughs> you know and it's it's it again allies with what we were talking about about losing hope you know when we are full up when we've got that compassion fatigue when we begin get to, begin to feel things are hopeless yes. actually great medicine is just reaching out to one another um and 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 sharing that load it makes yeah. a world of difference you know because we're we're very good at as human beings at looking after our our physical mental and emotional needs to some degree but it's that it's that steep spiritual sense of ourselves when we really link in with with people and really share ourselves and our feelings with people that do make such a difference in helping raise our levels of hope you know, I love the word flourish, you know, part of my ministry is to help people flourish in their lives in whatever way. And they don't, they don't need to be a person of faith or religion mm. if, for me. I just want to see people flourish, especially the men and women who've been on the battlefield and who come back from the battlefield, often with many burdens, to help them lay down those burdens and to flourish in life is... Uh, is just it's such a joy to be able to do that it, you know it gives you such a buzz um we're coming up to uh uh time on this now so i'm going to start okay. to wrap it up if that's all right with a pair mm. of you um yeah i'm going to fire uh, a couple of quick fire questions at you mm. ev or internal combustion engine or internal combustion engine silverstone or brand hatch the simpler the better oh brand's hatch without a shadow of doubt especially the grand prix circuit uh tvr or triumph 
What triumph? Oh, go on. Well, I'm not sure I could drive a car called Trevor, which is TVR, <laughs> isn't it? For so, everyone out there that's listening called Trevor, I wholeheartedly apologise on behalf of our Patrick. <laughs> well, Trevor doesn't sound like a, a real racing car, does it? You know, if you're going to have oh. a real racing car, you wouldn't perhaps call it Trevor. Um, actually, some of the early TV, 1960s TVRs, brilliant Great racing shows. cars. Yeah. Absolutely. Tim Lazell. Tim Lazell. <laughs> what? Yeah. Beautiful, oh beautiful. Um, he, you know, I'd probably choose that actually over the Triumph. I'm trying to think of any particularly mm. interesting Triumph racing cars. What model is um, it that Tim's got? Um, is, is it a Grand Tourer? It's a uh, Grand Tourer. It's a Terry Marshall car. Oh, I've been in it and it is just... Grand Tourer. It's extraordinary. Utter. Yeah, lovely. I'll take that one. Take that one. Mega. Right. Um, thank you so much for, for doing this again. Um, and to be honest, I think this one's better than the previous one. So yeah, happy with that. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on. And I'm sure we will have you on again because I quite like the whole spirit. We've always got, always got lots to talk about. It's one thing. That, the thing is, most chaplains are professional talkers. Well, yeah, uh, professional right. listeners as well. I'm very much a professional listener, you know, and I've got two ears and one mouth, so I'm used to doing more listening than talking. But yeah. professional talker, absolutely. Mega. So many stories. Um, plus, you know, um, it's nice to tell a few war stories every now and again, isn't it? Because that yeah. again helps 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 relieve the um, the levels in the uh, in the portaloo. Pull up a sandbag. <laughs> Jim, is there anything you want to fin- you you'd like to say to finish up? Oh God! Look, the other thing we've never managed is we've never really managed to be on the same track at the same time. Um, no, no, which that's is true. is phenomenally ridiculous. So, but for both of us, kind of the day job gets in the way um, perversely. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. we'll make it happen. We we, we will we will make it happen. And in a sort of post isolation world, you know, there's going to be a bright future, which uh, which will do. But thank you, um, my pleasure, Anthony. Um, uh, for this and for everything else as well. Your support's absolutely incredible. And uh, from that Sandhurst Padre who I emptied my woes on as a young officer cadet, um, <laughs> I, uh, I think the, the current officer cadets of Sandhurst uh, could do an awful lot worse than having you in the, uh, in the lead chaplain role there. So oh, thanks very, very much kind. for everything you. you're doing there too. Not at all. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to watch the, uh, you know, the new cohort of the officer class coming through. <laughs> yeah, a real pleasure. There's some good ones. Good. Really? That's reassuring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there wasn't when I went through. It wasn't like that yeah, in my day. Right. Pleasure. Thank you very much, guys. And uh, speak to you soon. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.